Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence at cmlibrary.org. Welcome to Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to the written words. We're a proud member of the Queen City Podcast Network and the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, a series of author-hosted podcasts uh, distributing literary content to a worldwide audience. I'm your host, Landis Wade, a recovering trial lawyer turned author turned podcaster of books and stories, and I really appreciate you being here. Very quickly, before we get to the uninterrupted interview today, a few quick words about some of the benefits uh, for our listeners. Number one, we have show notes uh, for every episode uh, with images, links, and information about our authors at charlottereaderspodcast.com. And number two, if you're into audiobooks, uh, we have a relationship with Libro.fm, which supports indie bookstores. You sign up with Libro to get your audiobooks and use the promo code CHARLOTTEREADER, you'll get an extra audiobook free. Number three, if you go to charlottereaderspodcast.com or my personal website, landisway.com, and you sign up for the book report, you're going to get it every other Tuesday. And here's what you'll get. Recommended readings, author interviews and videos, reading and writing tips, doses of inspiration, a free ebook by yours truly, and more. We won't spam you. That takes way too much time. And finally, we've got a lot of great content that we put out on our exclusive Patreon channel. If you like what we do here, uh, that is our mission of helping authors give voice to their written words, and you'd like to help us uh, defray the costs of this project, you can jump over to Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Charlotte Readers Podcast, and you can tap into all the great extra content we've got that's curated by our authors and me about uh, their writing lives and the craft and business of writing and other things too. But enough with the prologue. Let's get to the uninterrupted story of our guest and the one they've written. Today's episode is guest hosted by Danielle Stewart. Our guest host series is something new in 2021 where we bring authors back who appeared on the show and who support us on Patreon and have them conduct the interview. Danielle Stewart is well equipped to handle the steering wheel today. She's a USA Today bestselling author of over 30 books. Her series include the Piper Anderson series, the Edenville series, the Clover series, the Piper Anderson Legacy Mystery series, the Rough Order series, and the Barrington Billionaire series. She has had more than 3 million books downloaded and held the number one book rank on Apple Books, Amazon, and Barnes & Noble. I'll be turning over the host range to her in just a moment, but first let me tell you about our guest, Susanna Marin, uh, also known as Susan Shapiro-Brash, author of A Palm Beach Scandal, a book that follows two sisters as one offers the ultimate selfless act to the other, in this novel of artifice and intrigue. Suzanne is an established writer of 13 nonfiction women's issue books and fiction under her pen name, Susanna Marin. She's been featured in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the New York Post, Chicago Tribune, and the list goes on and on. For over two decades, she's taught in the writing department at Marymount Manhattan College and has guest taught in the Writing Institute at Sarah Lawrence College. Her novels are Between the Tides and Palm Beach Wife. Her recent novel, which is a topic for today, a Palm Beach Scandal was released in September 2020. Uh, Mary Sims is author of The Irresistible Blueberry Bake Shop and Cafe, and Palm Beach Resident calls the book a wickedly fun and entertaining story 
about high society life in one of America's toniest towns. And Alyssa Friedland, author of The Intermission, calls the book a riveting tale filled with betrayal, passion, aspiration, and deep emotion set in fascinating and alluring Palm Beach. I'll now let Danielle welcome our guest to Charlotte Reader's podcast and take it away. Thanks, Landis. First, I want to thank you for letting us use your platform. It's really um, so much less stressful to be on this side of it than to have to talk about your own book. So I appreciate that. Um, great introduction. And um, I want to just jump in with a question, Susanna. Um, this year has been crazy, completely different um, than previous years. What's one thing you miss most and what you're most looking forward to getting back to when things settle down? Oh, that well, first of all, I want to thank you and Landis for having me on today and to say that I'm really happy to be here. Um, that's such a good question, and it's really multi-layered. Um, I think I miss everything about life that offered free will. Yes. And I think that when we're mandated to stay home, even as a writer, <laughs> um, you find that you're longing for what was just organic and real and your choice. I miss family. I miss friends. I miss New York City being as it was. I miss teaching and my students. And I miss real meetings about my book. And here it is. The book came out in September. And I was set to be on a, a real tour, rather, and ended up on a virtual tour, which is a very different kind of experience. It is because so much about reading and writing is in the people and in a, a reader's reaction to it and being able to interface. So I completely understand those those differences. And then the writing environment, I'm sure, is a little bit different, too. I was a cafe writer. I liked to go out uh, and write yeah. and have that kind of people watching experience. So that's that's something I am very anxious to get back to. What I miss is teaching in the morning. I've always taught early classes at Marymount Manhattan. And then by the afternoon, after I've you know met with students and seen a few other professors and done whatever one does in a college, for that job in my life, getting back to my desk for the rest of the day into evening. Yeah, that's great. That's a great schedule that I hope you get back to very soon. And I'm going to try to not dominate this interview by picking your brain about um, uh, everything nonfiction that you've written about, because it's so I'm just enamored with with my own evolution and understanding gender and gender roles. And 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 I just I think what you do is incredible. So even outside of, of what we're talking about today, I think you're uh, everything that I've I've read of yours and and all of that it seems like you have a really fascinating career even outside of writing so I do hope you get back to that soon but we will jump into um the Palm Beach scandal which I spent my entire Thanksgiving break reading which was oh. exactly what I needed it was uh escapism and emotion and all of those things that we're not getting in person right now I felt like I was able to get that in the book so thank you for writing it thank you for putting all the energy that you did into it it really made my Thanksgiving break, uh, you know, a great escape. So I want to talk a little bit about the cover to start. So what I love about your cover is that it is the kind that when you are walking through the bookstore, you stop, you stop and you look at because it has a little mystery, a little intrigue, but it's still very glamorous, which I think really summed up the book well. So while that design was being processed and, and while um, it was coming to life as a cover, uh, is that what you were trying to capture? Yes. Um, first of all, I've been a St. Martin's author for most of my career for my fiction and my nonfiction. And I felt very strongly that it was my research, which you mentioned before, for the nonfiction that really fueled my fiction, having interviewed 
myriad women across the country in terms of age, social strata, ethnicity, race, religion, to see how they felt as mothers-in-law and mothers and daughters and sisters and rivals and wives. And, and I took all of that and put it into my fiction. So that really informed the cover in a way. And I really appreciate what you said, Danielle, about the cover looking glamorous, but also mysterious. And also I wanted it to have some substance because while this is an escape and we get involved in the characters' lives and dilemmas and moral centers, we're also really, we're looking at a story that is very modern and contemporary and I hope illuminates how women feel. It, it came through. I, I think you really felt, if I didn't know your background, you really felt it in, in the work. You really felt like this is someone who has an understanding of women's uh, relationships on multi levels. And, um, you know, they're not all the same, but there was so much captured in the characters that I felt like really told the, um, the layers that we have in these mother, daughter, mother-in-law, daughter-in-law, sister, all of it. I, I really, it was so enjoyable because I'm one of three sisters and, uh, you know, everyone has their role and everyone has their different, um, facets of the relationship with each other. So I, it really, it really resonated with me. Are you, uh, do you have sisters? Was that part of your process of writing was to look at your own sisterly relationships? No, but I have two daughters with a son in the middle, and my mother was the youngest of three sisters. And many years ago, in the early stages of my nonfiction career, I did write a book called Sisters Devoted or Divided. And in it, what I was really struck with, and I applied this to the novel, is the idea that if you're really close with your sister or sisters, if you're lucky enough to have that kind of family, then you don't have the same need for female friendships and bonds at work and just in other aspects of your life as those of us who don't have a sister and are constantly looking for a sisterly relationship among our friends and peers. That's so telling because I've never heard it put that way, but my sisters and I are best, 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 best friends. And so what that does sometimes is insulate you from some of those other relationships. You know, you don't build them at college the same way or have some, because you just, it's, it's so in already a big part of your life. So, um, I, I know as an author, how important it is not to give spoilers away. So I'd like you to kind of explain the story, um, a Palm Beach scandal, uh, in a way that, um, hooks readers and I won't give anything away. Okay, so I appreciate that about spoilers, because the, the one thing we know is that we don't want to give away this really the second part of this novel. Right. So the inciting incident, as they say in screenwriting, is that we have two sisters, adult sisters and their mother. And I was very interested in this being a multi-generational story, because I'm very interested in how women feel and the faces they wear versus how they really endure at every age and stage of their lives. So we have a mother and her two adult daughters. The mother is, shall we say, over 60, and her name is Veronica. And it is really her two daughters who tell the story, Elodie, who's 40, and her younger sister, Aubrey, who is 32. And they're quite different in style and desire and motivation. And Elodie is the overachiever, as so often happens with the older child or the eldest in a family. And she has done everything right. And I'm very interested in my work as a gender professor in the societal prescription of being 
the good girl or the pleaser. So Elodie certainly is doing that. She's married an, an it guy. She's got a catch of a husband. There's enough money because let's be honest, Palm Beach is not exactly a diverse place. It is, you know, very privileged and rarefied which is one reason I set the book there. I really wanted to look at why women still struggle with their secrets, with their stories, with their longings, no matter what you have in a capitalistic society that makes life easier. So that's Elodie. She has a great job. She's um, the director of programming for the fictive Palm Beach Literary Society. Her sister, Aubrey, is not married doesn't care about being married and is in the music industry, which is quite different. And she does not live in Palm Beach. She's hipper. So she lives in South Beach. And they have always gotten along and they've been very prototyped into the family because another aspect of intrigue for me is family systems. So, you know, Elodie is the one who has it all, except she hasn't, she hasn't gotten it pregnant and succeeded at delivering a baby. She has no child. All of her friends too do have children and are achievers. So in a competitive world, because I'm very interested in female competition, in Palm Beach, she feels deficient. And one of the questions I'm asking in this book is, is this from the outside in? Is this a societal prescription that makes her think that she's incomplete? Or is it baby longing? Is it really baby lust? So Elodie doesn't have a child, can't have a child. And so her husband, again, very interested in the role of wife and the dynamics in a marriage. And so her husband really pushes her to ask her footloose, fancy free sister, Aubrey, to carry a baby for them. I can't, as I was reading it, I was just, it was a page turner. I was on the edge of my seat because your um, your character development was right out of the gate. I understood who the characters were. I recognized them in my own life. Uh, it was just, they were very true to the women that I know. And so then you're thinking, these are the characters. And now you have this scenario, again, a very real life scenario. I, we've, we've all had women in our lives who have had infertility issues. We've also had women in our lives who are single by choice and who um, choose not to have children and the stigma that comes along with that. So every um, layer that you added, I was sitting there thinking about real women in my life and saying, boy, I never realized the weight of that or the pressure that they might have or the stigma that they that their choices bring on. So I really enjoyed how much depth there was to each of the characters. And then you throw the scenario in um, and you try to think, how would that play out with these people that I know who are in, in similar situations? So before we jump into my favorite part, which is when you read some of the book, because I love when the author puts their own it's like getting to be in your mind as you read it. It's it's your inflection and what you were thinking as you write it. So I'm looking forward to that. But I did want to talk about Palm Beach prior to that so that people understand how big of a part Palm Beach is of this story. It is almost its own character. You've written it so vividly that I like wanted to dress up today and have little <laughs> have little tea cakes out and and a glass of champagne of prosecco like in my hand right now. Like that's it got me so in the mood to get back to some of those fun things we used to do. But tell me, what's your relationship with Palm Beach? You must have one because I don't think you could write it this vividly unless it's something that you've experienced. 
Palm Beach is a place that I've gone to, my older brother and I, since we were very, very little children, like say two and, and three, because, you know, that really young because my father was an amateur but ranked tennis player for many years in Florida for doubles for decades. And he really wanted to be there. And I think it was the day I left for college that my parents ended up becoming residents. So they had a home there for many years until my mother died three years ago. And I was there every Christmas, Easter, Thanksgiving, you know, vacation, and my own children really got to know it. And I would walk on Worth Avenue, which is sort of the Rodeo Drive, or the Fifth Avenue of Palm Beach. And I would look around and I was so struck, Danielle, by how women of every age seem to be visible, not invisible, in a culture where ageism is such a big factor for women. And I also thought they're also gussied up and dressed up and they have everything they need materially. What really lurks beneath? Right. Because one of my most, to me, fascinating and incendiary, it turned out, books of all is on why women have so many secrets and lie for the cause. So the secret is the reason and the behavior is the lie and why we feel as pleasers and good girls, we have to appear a certain way. And like poor Elodie, she couldn't really tell anyone in this novel, oh, I'm really struggling. I've miscarried several times. They're telling me it's really not going to work out. She didn't want to confess that. So her mother, Veronica, who's quite a character herself, would walk around saying, you know, oh, Elodie's too busy with her career to have children. So is Palm, so getting back to Palm Beach, it's so beautiful. There's the intracoastal and there's the ocean, which I write about. It's a barrier island. And people there really expect perfection. So when something is awry, as in this story, and then there it turns out to be a seismic family secret that we uncover, which we're not giving away, how higher do you, you know how higher have you risen in order to fall and at what price perfection what is the price of the what is the dangerous element of being a perfect wife mother daughter sister exactly the the it almost is is as if the stakes are so much higher there because the expectation is so much higher. You're you're not less likely to be imperfect, but you are expected to be perfect while you're there. But I also liked how you didn't demonize Palm Beach. It is it is a beautiful place. And yes, it is different than other places in the country in a lot of ways, but there was still so much positive there. And I, I really enjoyed it. I was ready to pack. I would go anywhere right now, but I was ready to pack my bags and uh and head to Palm Beach and and just and this will be bask. The- I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, go ahead. This will be the first time in my entire life that I remember not being in Palm Beach. Yeah, and I think so many and, people you know, are experiencing Yeah, and, and it, it really feels like I'm missing something. Uh, I believe that Palm Beach is, as I said, rarefied, but I believe in a strange way, having spoken, as I mentioned, to a diverse group, a really disparate group of women for each of my nonfiction studies, that this could happen anywhere because women tend to judge and measure one another, unfortunately, wherever we go and wherever we live, women want to be part of a group. And I did a study called Toxic Friends about female friendships. And in it, women reported that even when they were uncomfortable with one person or with what was going on with the group, they were fearful of pulling out or not really doing whatever was expected. 
It is so complicated. And that's why I was like, I I said, I have to make sure that I don't just um, pick your brain about gender roles. But this is why it's so wonderful, in my opinion, to have two sisters who are best friends, because it's, it's, it's built in and easy and they don't get to go anywhere. They just have to be my best friend. So I, I value that. But now I know a little bit more why I value that so much after this discussion. So at, like I said, one of my favorite parts of the podcast is when you read from your book, because I feel like nobody brings it to life as well as the author, because you knew exactly what you meant while you were writing it. So uh, you said you've got two points of view in the book. Are we going to hear a little bit from each point of view today? Yes. Okay. I'll read... Um... So I'll read just a page or two from each section. First from Elodie, the older sister who starts the book. So this is where Elodie is having dinner with her husband. And he decides to tell her his idea that, that Aubrey should be the surrogate after they've been given that blow that this is not happening for Elodie anymore. And so they're, they're at a dinner together, and James, the perfect husband, the ideal husband, springs this honor. So here is, is Elodie's voice. Aubrey wouldn't agree to such a crazy idea. Never. Aubrey will be giving you the greatest gift anyone can give, a baby, our baby. More insistence from James. I imagine Aubrey at this hour with Tyler, prancing to a tune that's favored in the clubs in Miami. Something about her by the Kents or everywhere's some other dude, perhaps. Less rock, more indie pop, lyrics that do not espouse a love that could elevate, take us above the rest, milling about, mingling with the crowd until their band goes on stage. She's in one of her old Herbe Leger mini dresses, which cling to her body and wearing poor love Victoire stilettos purchased at a secondhand shop. Perhaps they'll have next to the rock cellar where it fills up steadily, arriving before the second set. Elodie, James says, it makes sense. Think about it, the idea of it. I'm at the kitchen table. James comes close and kneels beside me. His eyes are near enough to mine that his love and appreciation are reflected back at me. Elodie, it could work for us. Aubrey is like my little sister. She is your little sister. We love her. What could go wrong? Do you know what I've learned, James? Something I never needed to know. How at risk a woman is when she is trying to get pregnant when she is pregnant. Aubrey's younger. She's in fine shape. I realize that intellectually. What if she gets sick? What if the baby isn't okay? Instinctively, I move away from him, stretching my spine. Why not at least run it by Aubrey, he asks. Run it by Aubrey? Sort of like shopping for boots at a designer sale together? Do they suit you? No. Do they suit me? Here, you take them. No, no. You're my sister. You should have them. We could share them. Like that? My husband comes close, yet he doesn't take my hand, kiss my face. I remember when I was in fifth grade and Aubrey was in preschool. We would visit our grandparents in New York, and our grandfather would take us to Central Park. The sparrows would flit about, and we'd break and scatter Aubrey's animal crackers. We hoped the pigeons wouldn't force their way in, devouring our crumbs. Aubrey begged to touch the sparrows. She wanted to take them with her, while I flinched if they came near our feet, near the trail we had made. Am I not maternal? And Aubrey is? You'll ask her at least, Elodie? Aubrey's profile last night, outlined and in shadow, the sound of the intercoastal lapping against our new, unknown neighbor's dock, how easily she escaped with Tyler to the life they might have together. How dare we intrude? How could we? 
You'll consider it, Elodie? James persists. James, listen. We need to do this. Sure, I'll ask, I lie. Because in the moment, I doubt that I will. So that's the chapter with Elodie. I just, I, I was scowling at my husband as I read this, even though he's not James. I was so just like men, I was like shaking my fist at him of, of oversimplifying and, and, you know, not looking at the nuance and not thinking it through and just wanting to cross something off the list and check the box and get things done. So he was like, boy, what's, what's this book about that, uh, that you're reading? I That's said, well. funny. <laughs> well, I think that, you know, again, one of the pieces of this story that I really wanted to to show to the reader is just what patriarchal culture yields in in male behavior. And James, while, you know, as I said, he's the catch, he's also very um, supreme. He he suffers from male supremacy, and I hope that that comes through in it how did. he pushes. It did. Oh, good. <laughs> it did. I did. It was, it was, uh, uh, it was uh, apparent and and also you softened him enough where you knew it was coming from the right place but still it was it was dominant because he obviously was someone who is goal oriented and his goal was to have a child and so you do that through whatever means that you can but you miss a lot of nuance there so that particular passage as i was reading it was uh you know i wanted to kind of shake james a little bit but <laughs> i i agree and I like James, but James is, he's really a product, as we all are, of mm-hmm. an environment that shapes us and, and influences us. Right, right. Did you want me to read Aubrey's page? I do, because I am an Aubrey. Uh, I am not an Elodie, I am an Aubrey, so I, I would love to see what you picked it's for her. so funny that you say that, because on my virtual book tour, people end up doing this, like it's yes. Betty and Veronica, and we're reading yes. Archie comics. yes. Okay, so Tyler, as you know by now from my reading, is um, Aubrey's new love interest, and she's not sure where she'll go with that. Um, So anyway, they've just gone to a wedding at the Four Seasons Hotel, which is very beautiful in Palm Beach, a good friend of Aubrey's from growing up. And now they're back at her parents' house because they didn't want to drive back to South Beach after drinking and being out late. So they're staying in her childhood room. And, um, and they're, you know, about to really be intimate. And she feels that she must tell him because Elodie does in fact ask Aubrey to do this. So um, I'll start with, let's see. Um, Okay, so she's just now telling him. um, I start feeling around for my nighty as if the charm and seduction are being drained away. Tyler kneels down and picks it off the floor. I dress and sit up, missing him already. Does what you're about to say have anything to do with Elodie? He comes back to the bed, turns on the lamp on the Biedermeier night table. We both blink, then sit facing each other. It reminds me of a breakup, a fight, a loss. He waits, the way my grandpa used to wait for me to tell him what episode at school made me cry. Elodie and James, I say, they want me to have their baby, to be artificially inseminated and give birth, My sister, she's been plagued by infertility for years. She's lost babies. You know about the last one. One time the baby had no heartbeat. I can help her. I should help her. Except there's you. There's us. I look away toward the wall. Tyler stands up, cracks his knuckles, walks to the window. From the back, he is an action figure on a billboard poster. 
I take the cotton weave throw from the bench at the end of the bed to tug across my shoulders. What'd you tell them? He asks while facing away. I start rocking my body without meaning to. My knees pulled close to my chest. I visualize us not living together, moving apart, packing up a few things. Mostly, I'm afraid of what it would be like without Tyler, without his energy, his smile, the jokes he repeats, a tendency I usually can't stand yet with Tyler, it's all right. I told them I'd do it. My sister, she's been miserably unhappy. She's been too sad for me to bear. I go to where he stands to touch his face. He keeps looking out. Then I hold him as tightly as I can. He doesn't move. I try to lift his arms so they circle me. They seem unsteady, not strong and solid. Not usual. I feel for your sister and for James, what they're going through. My sister miscarried twice before my nephew was born. Must be awful for Elodie. That's why I said yes, because it's devastating for her. Uh-huh. Tyler exhales. Why didn't you tell me what's going on? I mean, I'm at the miscarriage point in this. That's the news I've had. At first, I thought I'd say no. Then I processed it. I waited because I could. it could ruin the rest. I was clinging to us. I keep looking around my childhood bedroom, murky in the lamplight. My body will change. Sex will be different. I can't drink. Not that I do, but it's forbidden. I can't smoke weed or an occasional cigarette. Music can't be loud when we're at the gigs. I'm afraid I might have to leave after a short time. It's okay. I wouldn't drink or smoke weed or cigarettes if this happens. No secondhand anything, he says. That he would do that, that he would care enough. And be okay in the world you're in, the places you go, I ask. Yeah, it would be fine. I'd make it fine. I'd start a trend. Could he be this nice, this decent, the kind of person my mother and sister are always touting? Inherently, nice guys are at a premium. Sludges and goops are plentiful. Easy to come by. Wasn't I always tripping over them? Until Tyler. You're being very generous, Aubrey. It's an undertaking. I know. Mind-boggling. Sure, it's a lot. We'll adjust, he says. Out of nowhere, Tyler has decided to join me on this alien journey. I could warn him, quote the nurse practitioners about waves of nausea, fatigue, nights when the incessant beat of our bands will make me afraid for the baby, for my body. Instead, I, cl- I listen to the clock ticking while he runs his hand across his head as if he still has hair there. I'm sorry, I say. He leans over and whispers, I'm not going anywhere. You're not getting rid of me that easy. I might not fit into this town, but I fit with you. He locks his hands with mine. We're entwined, shipmates, only the two of us at an inlet where the ocean meets the bay. Tyler, you sweetheart, Tyler. He's a great yeah. character, too. And, he's, yet, he's, and yet he's so hip. He is. And shaved head and those tattoos, but we love him. Yeah, he's a, you, as you're traveling or, or virtually, I'm sure you get a lot of feedback about Tyler. He's one of those characters that says the right thing at the right moment and, uh, you know, but still keeps things exciting and has a great lifestyle. So it's a, it's a hard man in reality to find. So I love when I find him in books. <laughs> and what, thank you. And, and what's so interesting, and I was really thinking about this whole, the whole time that I created the characters, is that. The bioethics of surrogacy and gestational carrier are still not established in our society in a way that makes it work. So here we are having the emotion of James asking, Elodie, Aubrey saying yes with the biggest ask of the biggest ask ever, Tyler coming on board, and the four of them now going on a journey that is so unpredicted in terms of of how it plays out. It's easy enough for Aubrey to get pregnant. 
but the bioethics of the story are really a part of it. And then, of course, the secret that's uncovered. But years ago, I was commissioned to write a book that did not get published, which really, of course, upset me, on surrogacy and gestational carrier. And I put a lot of that research into just the backstory for these characters. And, you know, say yes to your sister, sure, but be prepared for what's ahead. Not so easy. Absolutely. And there is, um, it, it feels like an easy solution biologically, uh, but right. there's so much baggage that goes along with it. So I'm going to ask you one last question. Um, what was the most fulfilling part about writing this particular story or the journey after? Is there a message you continue to get from readers that kind of lets you know you hit the mark? Is there something that um, just really fills you up when you think about this pro- this this end product, this book that you have put out into the world? Well, one of the messages that mattered to me greatly in this book is what survival means for women, how women navigate a path, and how when you're put to the test, again, another study I had done called Reclaiming Ourselves, about how women really often sleepwalk through life as a coping mechanism almost, and how awakened we are by a circumstance. So that's what happens. So I was really looking at how these two sisters wake up to what their moral center is, and who their mother is, having done this, you know, several studies on mothers and daughters. And so I was really looking at that. And what has made it so meaningful to me is that on my virtual tour, which is a trick in itself, you know, very different now, that so many women have talked about what this book and the situation with the sisters and their mother, and so really a triangle. Triangles Mm -hmm. are always fascinating in relationships. So I've really had great feedback in terms of people loving the story, finding it contemporary, a story for our times that maybe hasn't been told, and the idea of how we each endure I, I completely agree with that. That that resonated so much as I was reading the story. I thought this was going to be escapism. I thought it was going to be Palm Beach, and it was all of that. You gave us that as we read it, but there was so much layer to it and so much nuance that really just had me reflecting. And I really appreciated how you normalized and discussed the idea of infertility and the emotion that goes along with it. It's such a secretive topic. It's such, we don't know who in our life who, uh, who have miscarried or who have had fertility issues. And so many people suffer that silently. So I, I do really love and appreciate that you gave a voice to, to the characters living and experiencing that. So, so thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your time with thank us today. You, thank Daniel. you for writing this book. So I'm going to, I'm going to jump back in. And, uh, if you like what we're doing here, um, let us know because I thought this was a perfect uh, episode to have Danielle be the uh, guest host. Danielle was on the podcast summer of 2020 with her book, uh, A Bend in Redwood Road. And I think there was a, top, a sort of a secret behind an adoption in that book. And so she was dealing with those kind of issues. And so this uh, this word she used here, complicated and women talking about women. Hey, I think it was great for them to have this conversation and not have a man try to lead it. So that was, that was, I agree. So, so, so we'll be looking for more of those, but I want to, I want to mention a couple of things to, to you listeners here. Uh, we've got a special thing we're going to do here as well. We're going to jump over to our Patreon channel here in just a moment. Uh, Danielle and I are going to interview uh, Susanna about uh, 
sort of a bridge between her nonfiction work and her fiction work. I, I'm going to call it, I think, from nonfiction to fiction, the why and the how of it. And we're going to talk about that because uh, Susanna has really written a lot in this uh, in, in the nonfiction world and she's taken it and put it into her fiction books. And so that's going to be fun. You can do that by jumping over to uh, our Patreon channel. It's patreon.com forward slash Charlotte Readers Podcast. We're going to be putting out a lot of this content in 2021 where you can listen to the author talk about the book and then you can jump over and listen and talk about their writing lives and get some writing tips too. So uh, I want to thank, uh, first of all, Danielle, thank you for leading the discussion today. Absolutely. It was a joy. It was very enlightening. I really, Danielle, I really it was enjoyed wonderful it. wonderful to speak yeah. with you. Just wonderful. Yeah. yeah. And Suzanne, I want to thank you for being a part of Charlotte Readers Podcast. Thank you for inviting me on. What a treat. Well, that's it for today. Another fine author giving voice to the written words. You can subscribe to this podcast for free at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and most any podcast platform you like to listen to your podcast on. If you like what we're doing, please consider leaving a short written review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice, because when you do, our authors' voices travel much farther and wider in podcast land. And if you're inclined to help us help authors give voice to the written words, and you'd like some member-only content cultivated by our authors and me as our thanks, please consider becoming a member supporter. You can find out how to become a member supporter and more about today's show and all previous episodes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast. Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. For more information, go to queencitypodcastnetwork.com.